Recording this on Saturday, January 13th of 2024. So this is following a video from Chabad of Palm Beach by Rabbi David Vigler. The title is What's Happening in 770-Chabad World HQ. And um, so I'm going to talk about just basically, you know, like Friday night, I kind of got into, you know, let me just finish what I was reading um, a while back. Um, I I jump around to a lot of stuff, and I was like, you know, I want to read some New Testament Bible, but I was like, the last thing I left off on was the temptation of Jesus, and I was like, okay, what's after that? And there's kind of this segment about, um, what did I write it at? What did I put as notes? Um... Jesus after the temptation and like at the beginning of his ministry. So the start of Jesus' ministry, right? So Friday night, I kind of just go through a little bit. It was, you know, a little bit of Matthew, a little bit of Mark, a little bit of Luke, a little bit of John. And I realized... Um, just, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm just kind of going in order of what I was reading. And I was kind of reading just kind of the passages in the gospels that were similar to that, but the book of John didn't specifically have, um, that information about like Jesus going to Galilee and all that. It was just kind of like, um, talking about the, um, the choices of the disciples, like how he chose, how Jesus chose his disciples or which disciples he was choosing. Um, cause not all the gospels have like the same exact order of things. Um, but usually, you know, I like to read it like that cause like, um, like just comparing different stories like I've done it before with like Christmas or like um the pregnancy of of Mary and things like that like just Mm kind of gone through things and so that's kind of how I came into this topic was because when I woke up Saturday morning I was kind of just like I don't know what I'm gonna come across I was just scrolling on YouTube and it popped up um in my recommended you know videos and so that's how I come across this video. And I saw one earlier by, what's her name? Vizel. Vizel, I can never remember. Frida Vizel. So she is the lady who um, was a Haredi Jew uh, in practice and now, you know, is not 
Haredi. I believe she's still a practicing Jew. I'm not 100% sure. But I know she does tours of the Hasidic areas of um, of New York. And she's very involved online. Uh, more so from an educational standpoint. And she does some interviews for people who used to be um, Hasidic. Um, just getting different angles of people who are... I'm not saying everybody who's Hasidic is in a cult, but just like with any religion and any group, there are cults that do exist. And then she interviews other people who've had really good experiences, um, who are just, they're practicing Jews, but they're not Hasidic anymore. Um, or some people who aren't practicing Jews anymore. Um, and so I like her content. Um, and you know that's probably why stuff like this comes up in my feed um and so you know i came across this this video this morning i didn't search it it just came up and i'm like this is the second time you know i'm seeing a video about this tunnel situation cuz she posted one and i was kind of not interested at the time cuz i'm like studying other stuff and i'm like cool i'm not even going to look into it and then you know, I see this again, and I'm like, let me just look into this. And strangely, you know, I watched the video, so I'm, like, informed of kind of, like, at least one version of the story of what happened with these, you know, Jewish people digging a tunnel under 770 Chabad. It sounds to me like they were trying to get to a mikvah that was unused, that was under there. I guess there'd been something shut down, and I guess the explanation is, you know, they were very zealous and very, you know, pious and wanting, I don't know if zealous and pious are synonymous words. I don't want to like taint somebody's reputation. I don't, like basically they were trying to like f follow the religion um, of getting the ritual mikvah bath and that kind of led them to kind of go through the process of digging a tunnel and trying to get uh, it cemented through, I guess, and then when, the, I guess, cops got involved and people were throwing benches at cops and there was, like, some whole upheaval. Like, I was like, I don't even know. Like, I, that's why I was like, I don't really want to <laughs> pay attention to that. Like, I wasn't, I, I'm trying to stay out of the worldwide drama, but it's like, I, I, I dove in first thing this morning, but, you know, I was kind of glad that I did because I was, like, just making some coffee I'm like, all right, sun's coming up, like, let's just get up, you know, I'm up, let's get up, um, let's not sleep in, because I was like, if I get some coffee in me, I'm gonna want to study something, and I'm kind of on a, a bit of a roll, like, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying myself with it lately, so I'm kind of motivated, so I was like, I was glad I watched the video, because at about the timestamp, about 15 minutes and 40 seconds in, they start talking about the Messiah, and they go into this um, discussion of who's the Messiah, who could be the Messiah. And they give a lot of modern day points, um, mostly based on the Rambam or uh, Maimonides, whichever name uh, people prefer to use. Um, they kind of go back and forth between okay, was it Jesus? And I'm like thinking, you know, I've watched quite a bit of Chabad content 
over the years. Like, I, I think I started getting interested way back when the Chabad even had, like, separate websites. Like, I remember Beverly Hills Chabad was probably the first site I came across. Um, I don't know if it was about the time when when one of the Revies had passed away, unfortunately. I, I, I really don't remember. But there was a song that was on there, on their main page, that had, um, that had these, uh, children, it wasn't like a visual picture, it was like a, an audio clip of, you know, when you, when you just open the page, you know, the website would just start singing the song by these children who were, I think, from some camp, um, some kids camp, school camp, or youth type of holiday camp or something, a religious camp that you know they made this song called like Rebbe oh Rebbe um and you know I was learning Hebrew and I was learning you know like the cantillation marks and things like that and I went through um bare sheet like probably like the first the first verse or so I would I didn't go that far in but I kind of like that's probably one of the first things I learned off of that website. And then, you know, I live in the South Bay area in LA. And later on, I found out that there was a Chabad of South Bay um, site, website. Um, it was like Chabad SB or something like that. But then later on, I noticed they like migrated all the sites into one. So now there's just one Chabad.org. Um, and, you know, I, I go near the one. Um, I have some friends who live over near the other one. Um, I think it's in, in Lomita, technically. And, you know, it's on a quiet little street, I think on Narbonne. And it's it's chill. Like, I've driven past there a lot, you know, because I've got friends in the area. And it's just, it's not that far. Um, but just like a curiosity. So I, that's, that's the only real, like, um, interactions I've had with Chabad at all. And I've you know, given some donations in the past, and I've watched their telethon in the past, um, or gone back and watched clips over and over again, um, so I kind of know of Chabad, and I like their study materials, the 770 website, I know that there's like 770 Live, um, I go on there on occasion, you know, I, I remember a point where they didn't block it on the Sabbath and other holy days, and now, you can't really watch the live feed on those days. Um, I think you used to be able to always watch it. Um, and so things have changed. Like I've, I've, I've been around since things have changed, like six, since before the year, I think there was the year that came like five, seven, 70 or something like that. Um, I remember when that year came, cause at that time I was learning at a, at a, at a, you know, congregation where, um, you know, they would study more of the Jewish traditions than most Christian churches did. And I kind of left, not like officially left, but I stopped going to the Adventist church that I was raised in and started studying there because I was like, you know, to actually have study sessions and like, you know, keep the holy days like in the Torah and stuff. Like they would have like a Passover Seder and like, you know, other types of, you know, Sukkot, they would go, like, do a little, like, outdoor camping thing for Sukkot, and, like, 
do the outdoor in a booth kind of like whatever version they could kind of make work you know to try to like keep keep the commandments and I was like it was appealing to me because I was raised in a Christian church that just kind of glosses over stuff like the church would usually talk about uh like the sabbath and maybe like dietary kind of concerns like not eating pork not eating shellfish not eating bottom feeders not eating you know uncloven hoof animals that don't chew their cud and certain types of like you know whatever qualifies for the most part I wouldn't say that we were like looking at kosher labels or anything like that but like and for sabbath it's not like we were like not turning out the lights like I do know people who didn't cook but people would drive and stuff like that like there was like a it wasn't like as strict as like an orthodox community would be but for a Christian community you know most Christians don't keep the Sabbath like that or um, Friday sundown this Saturday sundown they don't keep that time period of Sabbath if they do keep the Sabbath and they don't um, care about any kind of dietary restrictions biblically based they kind of just eat whatever you know so um but then I was always like well why do we do those kind of two things but then there's these other commandments where it's like you know keep these days and we never keep the other days we only keep the sabbath day you know I had questions and as the story goes you know nobody would ever fully answer my questions and it was a turnoff to me and I kind of found that congregation that I was like let me try this out because they don't really pick and choose they're actually trying to study it and then after the services after lunch we would come back and study in the evenings like study whatever the partial was for that week I think I think the services followed the Jewish Parsha I believe um and there was New Testament in there too like anything that kind of overlapped with what the Parsha might have been talking about um it was a long time ago, it was like 15 or so more years ago, like, but I thought it was 10 years ago, it was like 15, but, um, yeah, um, so that's kind of how I got involved with knowing about Chabad and knowing about, you know, Jewish commandments, you know, learning more about them, it's not like I'm just coming at this from, like, completely cold but I am coming at this cold as in um I have not heard a lot of this version of explanations I've never seen somebody I've never heard anyone from Chabad really talking too deeply about Jesus or their opinions on Jesus or a discussion about Jesus the only person I've ever heard really talk about it who's Jewish is Rabbi Tovia Singer. He's pr- and um, um, the historian Henry Abramson. Um, but all right, so that's some background. Sorry, it's lengthy. I'm caffeinated. I can't really tell how much I'm talking. But let's jump into it. And the stuff that I can't fit in the notes, I'm gonna put on the on the on the blog. I'll put it at um, theory and theology on the medium. I have a blog on medium that I 
don't really ever write on, but it's there. So I'll put I'll put it up on there and post so that you guys can have more. Because I think I wrote a lot of notes and I don't think it's going to all fit. So I have basically... The way I organize this is more than what I normally do because I wanted to and this is what I want this is what I want to do today. I'm not even done with it. I just stopped at a certain point when they started talking about like the messianic age, but it talks a lot about the Messiah. So let me see. I wrote let's see. Jesus, after the temptation, begins ministry. I'm just going to go through what I wrote um, in that order. So it's going to be that, and then we're going to look at the video where Rabbi David Vigler, from the point where he's actually talking about the Messiah and the question at timestamp 16 minutes and 4 seconds, can the Rebbe be messiah and then he goes on and starts talking about the rambam which is maimonides i put in some uh the links for the portion that he's for for the um text that he's talking about from mishnah torah um it's called hilkot melakim u mil Milkamotehem. Um, and it's from chapters 11 and 12. So I put in some notes for those timestamps of the different topics that he goes through of what the Rambam says in chapters 11, chapter 12. And then my questions based on kind of what he is mentioning. So I'll see what I can actually fit on the podcast episode um, description and the stuff I can't fit. I'm going to throw it up on the on the blog um, so that people can have the actual links. Um, uh, it took me a long time to find these links. Um, you know, some of them are from safaria.org. Some of them are from the Chabad website. But it's, it's hard because they have like the transliterated English version of the, of the, you know, Hebrew, and it's, like, trying to spell it consistently and, like, search for something and then, like, search through all these, like, chapter links and, like, click on them. It's, like, is this the one? Is that the one? And so I finally figured out that I was reading the wrong chapters because <laughs> I was, like, this isn't it. It just starts talking about kings, like, at the beginning of, like, one, two, three, and then... I realized, I was like, oh, like, we're talking about, you know, <sighs> I needed to go down all the way to the last two chapters, so, learning, learning experiences, these are not books that, that Christian people are raised with, and trying to navigate these websites and stuff, and, you know, I'm just thankful that it's online, and I don't have to go to, like, some library or somewhere to try to, like, dig through there. Um, so let's talk about this. Um, so Jesus, in the stories after his temptations in the New in the New Testament, um, starts the topic of you know his ministry beginning, and 
I don't know how I got to this other place in, you know, last night. I was just all over the place. And I was like, I don't know how I got into looking at, at Paul or Saul of Tarsus. And it just started interesting me all of a sudden. And, you know, because I like to know the history timelines because I'm getting into, like, the history of stuff. And I was like, well, when were these books of the Gospels written? And it's somewhere between, like, 60 years after Jesus, or the year 60-something, through, like, the year 100-something. And then I was like, okay, what was the first book of the New Testament? And it seems like the first book of the New Testament was written near the year 50. And that was Galatians. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, so how old was Paul? You know, it seems like from age 10 to 15, he studied. There's this argument, did he study under Gam- Gamaliel? And all this other kind of stuff. Um, and I just was over there, just kind of like, I don't know, anything that kind of bounced into some other, into some other, you know, rele- relevant region. I kind of was just going off like that. But that's kind of how I study things. Sometimes I just go from one thing to the next to the next and then eventually things start to click so I after after looking at all this stuff I kind of went into this Paul stuff and then I was like okay I need to go to bed you know um but I knew I never knew that I was gonna come across this this video this morning I was just kind of like I read a little bit of Matthew you know Matthew has the uh reference to the fulfillment fulfillment of the prophets so there's a quote in Matthew um that talks about the the um fulfillment of Isaiah and uh, of of Jesus living in the certain area of Galilee and you know when I I tried to find the reference in the actual old testament and i looked that up um and it said it was from isaiah 9 1 and i looked at that and i was like um i guess there's like 9 1 maybe the end of verse 8 potentially like in the jewish um old testament so i don't really remember why it's like shifted like that but i do remember in isaiah there's like i guess uh in the christian bible there's an extra maybe like an extra verse or one verse is like split into two or something like that i don't remember i don't know the significance of that but i know the footnotes do state that you know the verses aren't exactly aligned old like with the christian old testament and like other older scriptures that would say you know um what Isaiah 9 1 would be so it's basically the either the end of Isaiah chapter 8 going into Isaiah chapter 9 or the start of Isaiah chapter 9 depending which version of the Bible you're looking at I don't know which versions but I read that and I was kind of like just kind of comparing it and I'm like I always wonder how come the New Testament isn't word for word what the Old Testament says whenever it's like okay the prophets say this and it kind of sounds the same, but I'm like, there's some words that were different. And so I was like, that's something to look into for another day. Cause I was just, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but that's another tangent I can go on. 
that I haven't studied yet, but I'm interested in. So I'm like, okay, that's one verse that talks about, you know, the fulfillment of um, the Messiah. Or, yeah, the fulfillment of the Messiah. The Messiah. And I wasn't even trying to, like, get into the fulfillment of the Messiah at all. Like, this is just the first thing that pops up last night. And strangely, the first thing, one of the first things that pops up this morning. So I was like, that's pretty cool. I like it when stuff like that happens. Um, and then, you know, Mark talks generally, the book of Mark talks generally about the fulfillment, just stating that it was a fulfillment of Jesus living in Galilee or moving back to live in Galilee, uh, but doesn't state like a specific area or whatever. Uh, the book of Luke, Luke 3 verse 24 talks about the lineage of Joseph to David. Um, it talks about the bloodline. And I had a question about that already last night because I was like, okay. Because they're using the bloodline to prove that Jesus is the Messiah because he has to come from the lineage of David. Um, and... Um, the, it was Joseph, Jesus' father, um, who comes from the lineage of David. Now, I can't recall if Mary comes from that same lineage, um, but I just had a question about it last night, and we'll get more into that, but I, um, just had a question about it last night, um, because I was like, that's interesting, because they mentioned, you know, some people think that Jesus was Joseph's son, um, and I'm like, because, I mean, that's, like, the big debate, right, it's like, who is the father of Jesus, you know, because if the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, and she was a virgin, I don't understand, I, I, I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't understand the DNA situation with that. Now, I'm not taking one stance or another. Again, I'm just talking about what I've read and what these other people said, and I've got my own questions, kind of almost um, debating this Rabbi David Vigler video. So I've kind of got multiple angles to take from this. So that's where I started last night and then the book of John goes straight to the choices of the disciples there's none of this you know after the after talking about like John the Baptist and all that you know I can't remember if it talks about the temptation of Jesus but it goes into um straight into the disciple the choices of the disciples that Jesus made um so that's kind of where I left things Went to sleep, woke up, watched this video. Um, again, the video talks about the Chabad Tunnel at 770 in New York. And...
sorry, the city's been, like, messing with our water. They've been shutting things off and on, trying to repair something, and I heard some water turning on. I wanted to make sure nothing's, like, flooding or whatever. <laughs> um, alright, so, the Chabad Tunnel at 770, um, and the conversation, the discussion about Messiah by Rabbi David Vigler, um, I don't want to call it an argument. I want to call it a discussion or a conversation. The discussion about Jesus versus the Chabad. Uh, I'm correcting my spelling. Chabad Rebbe. And I put a link to the YouTube video and the timestamps. I hope it makes sense when I put timestamps. The timestamps are usually about the video um, or whatever footage I'm posting on the podcast episode, um, the timestamps are from that. So the first 15 minutes, they talk about this tunnel. I'm not going to talk about that more. Um, and then it's it says, I wrote that at timestamp 15 minutes, 40 seconds, they talk about the Messiah. Now, for people who don't know, um, Jewish people say Mashiach. That's Hebrew for Messiah. So when you hear somebody saying Mashiach, it means Messiah. Just like in English, we say Messiah, you know, or Christ. Um, I think one's from Greek, one from Latin or something like that. But, you know, I don't think there's a separate actual English word. I don't think we either say Messiah or Christ. Um... And Mashiach is what you'll hear a lot of Jews saying. But people do say the Messiah as well. Um, At the 16 minute, 4 second timestamp, I captured the quote where this rabbi talking, and he's talking to what sounds like two or three other people. They're basically studying intellectually together, trying not to get into like a... um, an emotional debate they're trying to keep it intellectual um the question is at 16 minutes four seconds can the rebbe be messiah and they kind of start going off you know off onto different tangents and you know so someone off camera mentions jesus and the lineage of david and another person mentions Brazilians, there are Brazilians that are also of the lineage of David, and then the conversation gets uh, reeled in to focus on the initial question uh, to return to an intellectual conversation, and then at about minute 17, 55 seconds, um, this rabbi starts looking into Maimonides, the Rambam, um, and he says, okay, let's get a list of what qualifies, you know, a person to be the Mashiach. And they say, you know, so they're reviewing this list. And I was like, I want to see this list because I don't really like to just take somebody's word for it. And so I get the reference, you know, from is found in Mishnah Torah, Hilkot, Mel- Melchim, U. Milkomotechem. 
and you look at chapters 11 and 12 of the contents um, and I posted that so basically what it means is kings and wars kings and wars and this was composed by the Rambam in near the years 1176 through 1178 uh, they say common era or I'll put also AD depending which one you use um, so after Jesus right way after Jesus like the later 1100s um, and I put from safaria.org the link for chapter 11 um, so they mention, you know, he reads pretty much all of it, and then he skips the the Torah and prophet um, quotes. Um, so I saw some stuff from Deuteronomy, there's stuff from Isaiah. Um, he skips those, so you can read those, they're in there. Um, and I the reason why I put the whole link uh because you can choose chapter 11 or choose chapter 12 from the contents list but there's all these other there's like a whole other like 10 chapters before that so if you want to read those other chapters of like how someone can be considered a king and that kind of thing um you can read it you can read that as well if it's of interest to you I don't want to like leave things out um so that's why I posted both um and yeah, it says, so needs to be from the house of David. And in the Christian New Testament, it states that J Joseph's lineage was from the house of David. Uh, but the Jewish argument is that if Jesus was born of God, he's not of Joseph's lineage or of David's lineage, therefore. Um, that's the argument of why the Jews wouldn't take what the Rambam says as needing to be from the house of David and considering Jesus because there's no proof that Jesus was from the lineage of David and someone makes a comment at minute 22 and 10 seconds makes a comment about you know the mother and you know the rabbi talking states you know, there's no matrilineal approach to tribal affiliations in Jewish tradition. Like he mentions, like since when do we consider the 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 mother's line when it's for tribal affiliations, right? Um, and um, according to Jewish thought, Jesus did not observe Torah, which the Messiah must do. And so I, I start coming up with some questions. I'm not going to save my questions till the end. I'm going to start coming up with, I'm going to start talking about my questions and just kind of embed them in here. But in the post, I'm going to post my questions at the end. And again, I don't know if this is all going to fit on the, on this description because I wrote a lot. And so I think I'm going to have to end up putting it on the blog or maybe I'll just put it, put both of them on the blog. Um... So my questions are, 
first of all, like, not to be rude, it's just, I, these are just genuine questions. Why is the Rambam or Maimonides considered the most important reference here? Like, why are we even looking at the Rambam? Are there other references that talk about the Messiah other than the Torah and the, and the prophets? Are there other references that we could refer to that are, the reason why I think this is because, you know, maybe his views could be skewed because this is after the time of Jesus. This is 1100, more than 1100 years after Jesus was on earth. There's been over a thousand years there of time to consider, hmm, um, you know, there's been time to consider, like, what's actually been said by Christians, what the New Testament says. So is this, is Maimonides potentially, is the Rambam, is he potentially writing based on what he knows Christians are arguing? It's kind of like, let me make the argument after the fact. Is there something that's before the time of Jesus that's not the Torah and not the not the not Isaiah that Jews actually can refer to that's a Jewish text that's written that is still an authority um and what is it can I find it where is it what is it I don't really know um I'm still learning so I just want to know why are we why why is this the guy that we're listening to because he's nowhere near the time of Jesus you know um Josephus is near the time of Jesus, um, but people question his writings for some odd reason. Um, I think one person, I think that historian Henry Abramson mentioned something along the lines of, you know, Josephus claims to be from a a Pharisee lineage, but is he really from a Pharisee lineage? Because he's the one saying it himself. I think that's the guy that he said that about. And so I don't really know what else. Um, I don't really know. Um, But can his view be skewed as he wrote after the time of Jesus? And are there other views from before the time of Jesus that might not directly reference some of Jesus' qualities? Um, uh, is that what I meant to write? Um, so basically, I'll get back to that because we didn't talk about it yet. Um, so going back to the conversation with this rabbi here in chapter 11, when they're looking at chapter 11, after talking about this debate about, um, you know, this, um, conversation that Jesus they're questioning the lineage David's lineage um they're questioning you know um basically they're questioning his lineage and I'm questioning the authority of Maimonides like why is he the authority that needs to say what needs to be said like what needs to be qualified for um and there's more interesting stuff in there like it says um 
according to Jewish thought, they state at at the timestamp, um, 22 minutes, 10 seconds, a little after that, they state that Jesus did not observe Torah, which the Messiah must do. And I don't know where it says that. Um, they start this discussion saying, you know, he changed the laws into something different and I don't think he changed the laws to my understanding reading the New Testament he didn't change the laws he said he came to fulfill them but he didn't change them and I don't see any place where he didn't keep the commandments there seems to be this continual you know there's things like picking grain on the Sabbath uh, or the the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath. Like, there were a lot of times where the Pharisees and religious leaders and scribes were questioning Jesus or his disciples about, you know, like, healing on the Sabbath. Like, how is that, you know, not keeping the Sabbath? And I would just say, you know, I haven't looked into what does the Talmud say about all this? What does the Rambam say about all this, you know? But I know that there are Jewish written written books plenty of them about these commandments um about these different commandments that they're stating that state more details of like what does it look like to to not keep the sabbath like the stuff about the grain is probably in there somewhere maybe um i know there's a lot about lighting a lighting a fire which nowadays translates to you know turning on a light and things like that um there's all these like um, discussions, like, a lot of these Jewish texts have a lot of discussions, for people who've never read any of them, they have a lot of interesting, good discussions, which is why, you know, when people with Christian eyes read the New Testament, it doesn't make any sense a lot of times when it's coming from a Christian perspective, because nobody in the Christian world would be like, if you're, why are your disciples picking grain? Like, if you were a pastor, and you had, I don't know, some pastor, there's not even an, a, an exact equivalent, but the only one I can think of is, say, if you're a, a pastor who's ordained, and you have, you know, these grad students who are getting their master's in divinity to become a pastor, and they're still studying, and they're interning at this church, and, you know, they go to, like, a conference where there's all these ordained pastors and the other ordained pastors are looking at this one pastor like why are your students picking grain on the sabbath like nobody would say that like in the christian world i don't think anybody would be like you're breaking the sabbath first of all in the christian world a lot of christians don't even believe in the sabbath or keep the sabbath or even pay any attention to the fact about the sabbath or the ten commandments or the you know the catholic church changed the sabbath from even being in the catholic bible it's not even there um you know and so there's things like that where you're just kind of like in the christian world it doesn't overlap as easily um so when people read it and they're like oh picking grain keeping the sabbath is like it's something that easily gloss over because it's like you know but looking at the jewish perspective they would have all these texts where they could go back and read them or things that they would have orally, you know, memorized 
you know, from oral tradition. Um, now, I'm not sure about this. I still need to look it up. But I heard that Jesus learned from Rabbi Hillel. Um, that's where he learned from. That's what I've heard uh, based on what Rabbi, uh, sorry, not Rabbi, based on what Henry Abramson said, um, the historian. He's not a rabbi, but I keep mistaking that. He's not a rabbi. He's a historian. Um, So for Jews to state that Jesus did not observe the Torah, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't think it's accurate from the way I've read the New Testament. There were questions about it, and I know that, you know, that's not uncommon in in Jewish tradition for people to be questioning and talking and proving themselves um, based on all these other texts. Like, did not this person say this, or this is what this book says, or like, don't your sages say this other thing? You know, usually you hear Jesus responding to things, and he's giving a response. Some of those responses warrant that other people want to kill him or, like, get him arrested. But you never really see them, like, catching him, saying, like, we're going to arrest you because you broke these commandments. You never really see him. You see him getting questioned about it, but that's not uncommon. Like, I've tuned into Jewish services online, and... Not all services are like this, but I've seen Jewish services where they literally have a discussion portion in the middle of the service. It's This is not a, an uncommon practice that, you know, there's somebody reading something even, you know, they'll be like, say the rabbi is like reading um, part of the Parsha and then people in the audience, they're not supposed to like argue and fight and stuff. I've never seen that. It's very respectful, but people have opinions and their take on it and you're able to kind of hear different people some people seem like they're very learned and they can talk by memory about all these scriptures and all these different you know sages and all these different you know books and then there's some people who just are very philosophical some people are very faith-based some people are very matter-of-fact some people are very literal you know you hear from the congregation multiple people you know, commenting, and it's a learning session, you know, shul, you know, different people refer to um, the Jewish uh, synagogue as like, you know, the temples, the service that people do uh, on Shabbat as, you know, a congregation, they refer to it in different terms, and shul is one of those terms it's kind of equivalent to saying school you know people say temple temple some people say synagogue some people say shul um and you hear people saying different things and different you know different places hold services different ways and this is one method of jewish jewish culture thought discussion when there's, you know, that's not uncommon. So the stuff that you see in the Bible where Jesus is getting questioned about the commandments through Christian eyes, it doesn't really look like anything. It looks like, oh, he's being harassed. Maybe he was being harassed. I don't really know. But if you don't read it that way as like, oh, these guys are just trying to trap him and trick him, which at points it does state, you know, um, 
that, but you kind of get that. I'm not, I don't want to go and say that, like, the Pharisees or whatever, I can't completely paint them in a bad light because I think that's some human's nature is to get under everybody's skin. Anyone who's been in a religious environment long enough knows that there are those people who are rude and they're mean and they argue with people, you know, about like in the Adventist world, the drums in the church, you know, we literally once played music with drums in a church once. I think we weren't allowed maybe to play with drums. I think maybe what happened was people stood up or people clapped after a song and in that church clapping wasn't you know people would say amen but you don't like clap for if someone does like a, a special song or like something like that you don't clap so there are different beliefs on that on traditions in the Adventist world and some people were clapping and some lady in the back starts screaming like don't clap like blah blah she's saying all this stuff um because traditionally in that church you don't clap it's seen as like rude there's reasons behind it that I don't even understand, but um, they don't clap. They don't clap along to the beat of the music. They don't even hardly have a beat of the music. A lot of times they won't even play drums. And when somebody does something, they don't clap. Other churches, you'll see people clapping. You'll see them having drums. You'll see them clapping along to the music. If somebody does, you know, if you have some out-of-town group, like a little kid's choir that comes to sing a song during church or something, and when they're done with what they're singing, you'll clap. You know, it's just whatever, you know. But you see stuff like that. And I don't even know why I went on to that tangent. But um, anyways, so let's move on. So, yeah, did Jesus keep the Torah? I would say yes. I haven't read anything in the New Testament that states he did not. According to Jewish perspective, they state that he changed it. At least this rabbi states, no, he changed it and therefore was not. Now, over time in Christian religion, the commandments, technically, they have changed in Christian tradition. In, in, a, in an overall mainstream Christian tradition, most Christians don't keep the commandments in the way that Jews do. But if you look at Jesus, he kept the commandments in the ways that Jews do. Um, maybe not the way that the religious leaders wanted him to. Um, he did have a reputation. It sounds like that he had a he got a bad reputation or a reputation where they thought he wasn't doing it right or teaching it right or maybe getting too popular for their comfort or something like that. They didn't really like Maybe there was some jealousy. I don't really know. Um, and maybe it was just, you know, how it is. You know, that's where I was going with the clapping thing. That there's always some people in the church that are going to be rude and mean. You know, I'm assuming any religion has those people. Where there's always going to be somebody who just, you know, can't get out of their, like, emotional self. And, you know, like I watched this... I watched this debate with Dean Odell and Greg Locke. I talked about it before. They were talking about Flat Earth. And Greg Locke was being so rude, name-calling, just really just, you know, he's not even sticking to, you know, reading the Bible and stuff. He's just trying to, like, 
downgrade people's personalities and almost calling people stupid without saying the word, you know, like he was just like, why would you believe in this? And like, just making it sound like these people are foolish. And like, he was using like a lot of emotional based, like negative emotional, you know, themes uh, versus like the facts of like, what does science say? What does the Bible say? You know, so it really made him look bad. But you see people like that in a lot of religions. It doesn't matter if they're a pastor, if they're a rabbi, if they're a whatever they are, you know, you see them all over the place. And I don't really know, but it's possible that some of those religious leaders in Jesus' time could have been those types of people. You know, you have the people that are able to have a conversation and they're humble. And it's like, even if it does get heated, you can still come back and be friends. And then there's other people who literally are like ruining friendships and disrupting relationships because of how they react when they're talking about religion or religious topics. And so... Um, some people just can't handle the conversations. Same with politics. It's kind of the same kind of emotional um, response from people sometimes. Um, that's why people say don't talk about religion and politics. <laughs> you know, people want to fight, you know. Um, a lot of contention. But, okay, so um, at about minute... Wow, how long have I been, I've been talking forever? At about minute... 22 and 47 seconds the discussion starts for considering for these guys considering um, the 770 Chabad Rebbe as the Messiah now the 770 Chabad location is in New York for people who don't know uh, you can you can look it up there's some videos where people film in front of it and stuff I think during What's that guy's name? I think his name is Shlomi. He's really popular on YouTube. He has really long side curls. He's done videos with like Peter Santanello and other people. And he showed at Chabad during the pandemic, I think, during the Rona. They had all these um they had all these study areas outside of seven seventy because you couldn't do like indoor um Torah study, so they would have people, you know, you could come outside and study, so, um, that was one glimpse that, like, you'll probably never get again, you know, where it's, like, all the benches and tables were, like, outside with the books and stuff like that, and there was, like, a little barrier between the street, and people could study, like, they would inside the building, so it was, like, a place where people could study, um, so at minute 23, they start talking about um, the descendant of King David. Um, so they say that... So I think I put some quotes here. They say... they. So according to this rabbi, he states that they believe that the Rebbe, the Chabad Rebbe, the one who has unfortunately passed away, the Chabad Rebbe, occupies himself in Torah mitzvot, meaning that he, you know, occupies himself in the commandments of the Torah, um, the quote that prevail, he will prevail upon all of Israel to walk in the ways of Torah and strengthen his breaches. So this, again, they're, they're, they're quoting this stuff from the Rambam, from Maimonides. They're reading through what Maimonides wrote in this in in the links that I post in, in the in those books um in Mishnah Torah they're posting 
about those last two chapters. In those two chapters, that's where all this information is coming from, that chapter 11. That's where this guy is basing things. So that one. Uh, Descendant of King David, prevail upon all of Israel to walk in the ways of Torah and strengthen its breaches and will fight the battles of God. So they state that, you know, this rabbi states that nearly 40% of American Jews have Chabad affiliations. And this last one will fight the battles of God. I haven't looked deeply into that. So what does that mean? I don't know. Is it like a militant thing? Because uh, some people I've heard state, you know, there's a militant thing to it. You know, it's not like a spiritual battle. It's like, you know, there's going to be like a war or something like that. Um, and there's, there's unfortunately always wars. And so I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, but a lot of this stuff, as you can see, is kind of loose to interpret, would you not say? I mean, just, just somebody saying descendant of King David. How do you define descendant of King David? Like, they prove here, um, that the Rebbe was a descendant of King David. In the Bible, it states that Jesus was a descendant of King David because his father Joseph was a descendant but then there's the debate was joseph really his father you know so i came i came up with this other question um um so about the about the lineage of david couldn't jesus still be of of david's lineage right um i guess my argument would be could god have made have made it so that Jesus has the DNA of King David's lineage. I don't know if the mother was of King David's lineage, but then they're saying that, you know, there's not a matrilineal um, approach to considering the tribal affiliation to the lineage of David. I don't know where it's stated that. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, I would like to know where that is stated where where does this approach come from in Judaism that when you're looking for the tribal lineage of David you don't look at the at the mother's lineage and where was it said in what book can i find this and in what year and time period was this written um and the thing i'm getting at about the history of like when things were written is to me it does make things almost slightly more suspicious when there's texts that are written after Jesus, if you know what I mean, I mean just that's just how my mind works. It's like if there's you know a whole religion that's trying to disprove that Jesus is the Messiah, oh, that's not the whole point of Judaism, obviously, but if there's a whole religion that you know is being challenged about someone who was Jewish named Jesus or Yeshua, challenging saying he's not the Messiah. But all the texts that they're following are written after. It's like, well, can't people just apply it directly to what what Jesus was doing and just say, no, he didn't do that. No, he didn't do that. No, he didn't do that. You know, because um, even the Talmud was written after Jesus. It, like the Talmud is is. Let me see if I can get this right. And again, I'm learning, guys. I'm learning. So don't, like, you know, if I say something wrong, you can correct me. 
but you know i am trying to commit this stuff to memory i was not raised you know learning things this way this is like new for me but for me it works just to question things and i'm not i'm not trying to put doubt in other people's heads i'm trying to ask intelligent questions that kind of just show that there is this um aspect of um interpretation things are kind of left up to interpretation like i could i could i could talk to this rabbi and state all the things that i've stated and have the exact same potential opinion that jesus is the messiah as this guy has that potentially the rebbe was the messiah we both kind of think you know the other might be wrong or the other you know he says why he thinks jesus is not the messiah i don't really think that his opinions are fully valid because of the way i interpret what i read so far i'm not convinced i understand his arguments i understand why he would say jesus would be disqualified but i don't understand i don't think it i don't think jesus is fully disqualified i just think it depends on how you interpret if you're looking only at what maimonides said or the rambab or whatever you want to call him if you're only looking at what he says or the or the you know verses that were skipped you know because they didn't go through all the verses from the bible the old testament scriptures that were actually there's actually quotes from the old testament scriptures that the rambab puts as well um but i want to know who said this who where is it that says that to consider the messiah from the lineage of david you're not looking at the matrilineal lineage i've heard that before because like when you're considering is somebody jewish you're looking at the mother's line so if you're considering what tribe somebody's from, you're looking from the father's line. So father's line is tribal affiliation. Mother's line is um, affiliation to being Jewish in general. I'm not 100% sure I fully understand that. But let's just say that's that's that uh, that's how that is um why why is it not possible that that god could have made jesus have have joseph's dna why couldn't why is god being jesus father i mean god created everybody right he created adam and eve and so the lineage before David eventually comes down through uh, Adam and Eve to Abram, Abraham, and goes into David. And so why exactly is that not considered valid? I mean, I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't get that part, but, you know, these are my questions, and so that's kind of what I would want to study more, 
And I would also say that I would study more about Jesus with the Torah. I don't think that Jesus broke the Torah commandments. Um, especially because it seems like there's so much room for interpretation. Um, there's there's different midrash midrashim from different rabbis who have commentary on the on the Torah on the oral Torah um and different people follow different midrashim that's not uncommon you hear people say you know i follow this midrash and people are like nobody follows that midrash nobody follows that rabbi's teachings but it's like well it's still a teaching of a rabbi you know if you've watched i'm not saying this is the best example to use but in the movie the believer with ryan gosling how it's like he's uh like this i don't even want to say it. he's like this neo-nazi guy and he you know but you know they go back into his history in this in this movie his character uh is um Danny Daniel and it shows him studying Torah about um Abram Abraham um and Isaac on the altar um to be killed um before God provides the ram and then you know Danny's standing up in this you know Torah class debating the class saying you know I follow that midrash like nobody follow like the rabbi's like nobody follows that midrash and he's like I follow that midrash you know and it's like it's not uncommon in Judaism for people to debate stuff like if you if you know the culture I'm not saying people fight like that but it's like it's a very, it's not, it's not, I mean, people study privately too, but it's not like in Christianity how you go home, you read the Bible to yourself, you know, at church, the pastor talks about something. Maybe if you go to Sabbath school or Sunday school, you might talk about a topic. If you go to a Vespers, you might talk about a topic. If you go to a prayer meeting, you might talk about a topic. But in Christianity, it's usually, there's a person leading, there's discussion, but there's kind of little discussion and everybody's opinions aren't really seen as equally valid and people aren't all like studying these different sages and different people and like quoting them and stuff like that in christianity you don't see that as much maybe at like a bible college or you know people who are studying for like a a, a, a theology degree they might go to that length but at a typical christian church you don't see that style of communication when it comes to studying the Bible. I'm not saying people never do it, but you don't really see that. It's not very typical. And so, I don't know. Like, I think it's just all interesting. Um, but yeah, I'd like to know about the matrilineal and patrilineal stuff. I'd really like to know about that. Um and let's see so okay at about 20 
26 minutes and 25 seconds, there's a discussion that, unfortunately, the Rebbe died. And um, this rabbi gives a reference to this book. He says, based on um, this other rabbi's book, the um, uh, from the Middle Ages, there's this Prussian rabbi named Johannin Eva Schitz. I tried to find that name, Eva Schitz. Um, the book, I think, he said it's called Forests of Honey. And he states that in this rabbi's book, uh, this Prussian rabbi's book, in the Middle Ages, he states that um, the there were Jews that were not honest with Christians uh, and the quote, like, pushed them off with straw, um, saying that, you know, when they were asked, when, when, the, Jew, when the Christians asked Jews uh, why Jesus could not be the Messiah, Jews would then respond, uh, it's because Jesus had died and he could not be the Messiah because he had died. And the Jews would be like... I mean, sorry, the Christians would be like, oh, okay, like, that disqualifies him. It's just to kind of push them off of the topic and be like, well, we're the Jews, we know better, and, you know, because of the tradition, the traditional knowledge that if the Messiah, if the potential Messiah dies, they cannot be the Messiah. And so there were Christians that apparently believed that response, but they say that in this book well well, this rabbi says that according to Talmud in tractate Sanhedrin 98a he says um, there's to be um, he says that according to that tractate the the messiah could be dead or alive so he uses that Talmud tractate Sanhedrin 98a um, about uh, it references something I, I don't remember what he said but it's in there if you look at the timestamp around 26 minutes and 25 seconds he starts talking about it um, now I have not read Talmud tractate Sanhedrin 98a I don't think I've read any of tractate Sanhedrin I've read some of Nazar, Nazarim. Still working on that. I've been working on it for a really long time. I'm only like a couple pages in. Um, and I'm only reading the English. I can't read Aramaic and all that kind of stuff. So I don't even do that. But, you know, I'm trying to study it. And it's just so much detail. And I don't study it every day. I don't study it all the time. But I'm trying to learn. Um... But tractate Sanhedrin. Um, so basically, the Talmud. I think I skipped talking about it at all. The Talmud is based is is based on the oral tradition, right? The Talmud is based on oral tradition, the oral Torah that was passed down, and the rabbis' responses to that was written down in the Talmud. So it's not the actual oral Torah, it's commentary on the oral Torah by multiple rabbis. 
And this, again, I don't remember the exact date when, you know, the Talmud was being written down, but it was after Jesus. So Jesus would have known the oral Torah information, but he he wouldn't have had a physical book or scroll of the Talmud. It wouldn't have been written yet, but he probably would have known of rabbis commentaries on on the oral Torah the Mishnah he would have known that um now I don't know if there are any Talmudic rabbis commentaries that were created after the time of Jesus I don't really know that I don't know that at all but that would be another thing to look into um, so again, anything that's a potential answer comes out with another question, but basically, um, according to the, the rabbi, the speaker in the video, uh, there can potentially be one qualified person of the lineage of David per generation, either living or dead that could qualify and I had a question about that I guess my question is if there were these types of lies that were being told to the Christians just to push them off based on these historical tribunals or whatever they're called um, could there have been other traditional lies that um, were later used as in as how to interpret if the Messiah, uh, if somebody qualifies to be the Messiah, such as by the Rambam, were there lies? I'm not saying the Rambam was lying. I'm just saying, were there traditional types of writings that showed any other kind of lying material? Because as I understand it, not maybe lie is too strong. I feel like it's a lie, but I don't know. If there were Jews that were saying Jesus can't be the Messiah because he's dead and then that idea gets passed on even in Judaism and then somebody's like, no, the Talmud actually says that the Messiah can die. And so that is to me that's a lie i mean i'm not trying to be like rude about it i'm just saying it's not truthful it's not the truth if somebody's saying you can't but you can you can't be dead but you can be dead according to the scripture or the or the talmud because i guess the jews would know that the christians wouldn't know that information um so as like part of a debate, people maybe started saying that. Um, or if it was based on them being brought before the court and either persecuted or made forced to convert to Christianity or whatever that may be, because um, they had to prove themselves. Like there was, you know, a time of persecution where the church was persecuting Jews who were saying things against Jesus being the Messiah. And also the church, I don't know the history of this, and this is something that really interests me, 
the church had a role, either, either Rome or the church had a role in um, uh, censoring the Talmud, the writing of the Talmud. So there's stuff that's in the Talmud that's written down that Jewish people who know the Talmud well, who study under someone who knows the Talmud well, would potentially be able to catch some of the stuff in the Talmud that is, you know, maybe about Jesus or maybe about, you know, some other kind of information that they would have tweaked a little bit because there were Christian groups that were censoring the printing of the Talmud. And so if if the whole thing was written and, you know, it went to the printers and the printers were like, no, you have to not say this because it's, you know, it's not right. So this is what I've heard from Henry Abramson about the Talmud, about how things were written in there that weren't 100% accurate. And so it makes me question, you know, if there are people like this, um, Ivashitz, Rabbi Ivashitz, uh, stating that there were some kind of lying responses, and if there were people who, you know, historians who state that the Talmud has some, it doesn't sound like it's like a whole, whole, whole lot of information that's, that's kind of tweaked like that, but there's some information tweaked just so it would bypass the, 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 the screening process to like not get censored or not get, you know, denied and they could print it. So now they have the Talmud that's written, but there isn't a version of it that's written that has all the right information in it. There's wrong information in it. Um, and you know, if you're someone like me who was raised Christian, who like barely came across that you can even get a copy of the Talmud and like, you know, there's like an English interpretation of it and I don't speak Aramaic and there's stuff that's online where people are like interpreting it and I can read it along with these scholarly people online and learn that way. I'm stuck learning based on what they teach, you know, and you know, I, I can't spend all day, like, going through all this stuff, you know, um, you know, there's not a part of my culture or tradition that would allow me to really, like, spend all day doing this, I'm able to do it now, because this is a point in my time when I'm able to do it in my life, my life is not gonna always be like this, unless I just start doing this for, like, a certain type of job or something, but it's like, you know, I don't have the knowledge you know, I don't have the background, I don't have the education, like, formally, I'm not, like, an authority on any of this stuff, I probably know more than, like, the typical, like, Christian about Jewish traditional stuff, because it matters to me, and I'm like, well, Jesus was Jewish, I always thought from when I was young, if Jesus was Jewish, why are we never talking about Judaism in the Christian world, like, why, are, and, you know, and I know the Christian th uh, theory, or Christian, um, thinking is like, well, we don't, you know, Jesus did away with the law and all this kind of stuff. And like, there is a lot of that. Um, there are different camps of that thought. I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I would say that I could totally believe that. Um, but yeah, those are some of my questions. And then we're almost done. So, 
the last part I'm going to talk about is when he starts talking about chapter 12. Um, from minute 32 and 26 seconds. And I posted the safaria.org link and the Chabad link so you could see the difference. Um, so there's a quote from the Chabad site from chapter 12. It says, do not presume that the messianic age, sorry, do not presume that in the messianic age, any facet of the world's nature will change or there will be innovations in the work of creation. Rather, the world will continue according to its pattern. Um, I believe what that means is that, you know, don't, don't assume that, you know, when the messianic age comes, everything's going to be looking different. Um, the, you know, technology is going to be all crazy weird and like everything's going to look so different. Like we're just going to be going about our normal lives and about our normal patterns. Everything's going to look like it does. And people are going to have to distinguish between all this. It's not like things are going to change overnight. Like the Messiah is here and then you wake up and now the sky is purple every day. It's like, you know, things are going to look the same. So I'm going to post my notes on this. I hope it was interesting. I had a lot of fun. Um, I didn't even finish the whole video yet, but that's about where I ended. Um, there's still more. And But, you know, I'm recording over an hour now. I'm, I'm trying to keep them under an hour, but my intros are long and then I ramble. So sorry that it's long, but um, I hope this will be interesting. Um, again, I'm not saying that I know the answers to all this stuff. But I think anyone coming from a Christian perspective interested in Jewish perspectives, this is one method to look at it and some links so you can dive into it yourself. Uh, it is hard for someone who's not raised in a Jewish culture to find these types of links. Like, so I hope at the very least, at least you have the, the references to kind of read on your own and see what you think about the history of it all. And thanks for listening.